What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren. And I'm Jenny. Guys are always keeping it basic on me. What the hell, man? You guys got to come up with a, like a universal name you use each time. Gotta, I'm going to start calling you Orin the Martian or something. That'll work. We can do that. I'm Paranormal Jenny. Rolls off the tongue. Orin the Martian and Paranormal Jenny. PJ. Paranormal Jenny. There you go. There you go. I just made nicknames for you guys on the spot. Perfect. That's 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 what I'm going to go with. If you guys don't say it, I'll start saying it. <laughs> All right. That's a deal. So uh, as far as you guys go, you guys got any uh, new and exciting news going on before we get into this awesome show today? No, still pretty boring over here, but uh, I hear you have a little bit of an update and an announcement for our listeners. Well, I actually have two, so kind of exciting. The one I didn't tell you guys about, but it's, yeah, you guys probably kind of got the hint from it. But anyways, kind of last second. And I know it's this coming weekend for all the listeners out there, but I will be vending at Bigfoot and Brews, which is a Bigfoot event, obviously, that Eric from Uncomfortable puts on. Um, It's going to be at Sister Lakes Brewing Company, same place it was last year. Going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of awesome people there, a lot of awesome speakers. And again, sorry to all the listeners. It was kind of last minute. I didn't know that I was going to be vending this until like a couple days ago. So last second, hopefully some of you guys can show up, if not completely understand. And then on the other side of it, uh, just like uh, my two awesome co-hosts over here, I also am the asshole that now owns a GoPro. <laughs> so I bought the uh, Creator Edition, and I have a lot of things that I plan on doing with it in the future, um, including possibly some standalone shows and stuff. But that'll be over on the inquiry side. But on this side of stuff, uh, the first project that I've been wor- that I want to work on that I've been contemplating doing for a while, and now that I have a decent camera and I have the means to do it, it's going to be something I start working on. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm going to start it here pretty soon. Um, I want to do a Michigan Dogman documentary because I haven't seen anybody that's really done a Michigan Dogman documentary. And for all the listeners out there, it's probably going to start off with a lot of like the big encounters that we talked about on the show a while back for anybody that was around for the Dogman episodes. Uh, then the second half of the movie, um, I already kind of planned somewhat of a crew. Maybe you guys could even show up when I uh, go to actually do this because I'd love to have you guys be part of the documentary because we are the Bizarre Crew. And uh, I was planning on hopefully going to the Manistee for a weekend, um, possibly doing some Dogman hunting. Uh, you know, see if we find anything. Maybe we'll come across a squatch in the process. Uh, maybe we'll have some weird footprints. I don't know. But I figured that 
you got to start off the beginning of it talking about Michigan Dogman as a whole, and then you got to do your own type of investigation. But that's something that's already partly in the works as far as me already having all the notes part of it done yet. So it's just a matter of filming it and starting to work with it from there. But there will be some documentaries here and there that'll start popping out as far as Open Minds Media goes. So just another way that we're starting to expand. And hopefully, since you guys are also assholes with GoPros, you know, we may be in different states, assholes. but maybe we can all kind of do some mini documentaries together from different states covering some different stuff. We can all keep it under the Open Minds Media category, just to keep expanding that. And then hopefully soon after that, we'll be doing Open Minds Media Publishing, but a lot of exciting stuff coming from all of us over here. So to all the listeners, pay attention for all the cool stuff we should be putting out very soon for you guys. All right, guys. And you know the drill. We say it every week. Uh, do all the social media and internet things. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Reach out to us through the email, the submission form on the link tree, all that good stuff. Uh, any suggestions for guests or topics on the show or your own bizarre encounters for Shane's book he's working on. So just get up with us somehow and uh, we will be glad to share your encounters on the show or not if you'd like. Whatever you guys want to do, we're all for it. And if you guys want to record them and send it to us, send it to us as a text, whatever you want to do, I can convert it back and forth either way. So whatever is easier for all you guys, don't hesitate just because of that. And uh, even if it's a short story, something really small, maybe it's something even like you walked in the hallway and saw a ghost. Um, you know, I'd love to have that kind of stuff for at least the show. Um, maybe that won't be in the book unless they're a little bit bigger encounters, but we'd still love to recollect all the encounters we can because we want to start compiling somewhat of a database of encounters that we can kind of, you know, keep as back category for different things that pop up, maybe start connecting experiences, but yeah, anything, even small stuff. Don't, for, don't, don't hesitate to send it to us. And uh, if you guys aren't already doing it, go and uh, follow the show on social media. The one that I'm the most active on is Instagram, but we also got a Facebook, all that fun shit. And uh, if you want to pop into an awesome chat room and talk to some like-minded individuals, we are still always running the Telegram and the Discord. More so the Discord, still trying to build that one up. We've had some new people that have started to influx in. Uh, we're still trying to get some more interaction, so don't hesitate to do that. We love to hear you guys talk. Uh, don't feel like you can't talk in there. We want you guys to pop in, communicate as much as possible, because that's the only way that the Discord is going to continue to keep growing. And as far as things growing, if you guys want to help the show to grow, we are set up now on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, there will be obviously more video content like I was talking about before we started the intro. But uh, as far as right now, there's a bunch of different clips of the show of specific points of interest. And uh, they come with a, a question that kind of goes along with it. So if you guys want to share an episode, but you don't think somebody might sit down and listen to the full two hours yet, at least send them, you know, one to three minute clip of points of interest. You know, you might uh, get some people interested in it. And in the process, you know, maybe you'll be able to interact with some other people that are dropping questions and stuff on the TikTok because there's a lot of comments on TikTok. And, you know, again, get into a fun conversation with some like-minded individuals. And if you want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one, of course, is going and joining the Patreon. There you'll get early access to shows. You'll get live feeds of shows, live replays of shows, which is the raw video format of the show. And you also get exclusive merch store discounts, depending on which tier you select. And uh, if anybody has anything that they'd like to see as far as the Patreon goes, I'm always open to suggestions. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message and let me know what you guys want to see, because I want to keep growing that and building that and give you guys exactly what you want. And as uh, Besides that, you guys can always donate on Red Circle, which is our RSS host. If you guys want to do that, it's all the way down at the bottom of the show description. And if you guys donate, let us know that you donate if it doesn't give you some type of option for a personalized message because we'd love to give you guys a shout out on the show. 
And anything that you guys donate is going to go towards us being able to do more conventions. It's going to go towards equipment like this, like the new camera for the documentaries. Uh, it's all going to go towards stuff that's going to be helping to build the show up. So it's not just going to be lying in our pockets. So at least you guys can say that you guys helped a media company now at this point, I guess, to continue to grow. And that's always going to always appreciate it, of course. And number three, of course, I mentioned already, I guess, is uh, the merch store. If you guys want to go and support the show with the merch store, there's a lot of awesome designs on there. I will be dropping a new one very soon. Uh, for anybody that made it out to Squonkapalooza and got to see the Squonk design I made, that will be included on the merch store soon. And I want to keep expanding and adding some more cryptid designs over there, not just the show designs. But if you're a big fan of Bizarre Encounters, we do have the main Bizarre Encounters logo currently. And we have the awesome 90s style Stay Bizarre, Bizarre Encounter shirt. If you guys haven't seen that already, I really enjoy it. And I worked hard on it. I think it's a really cool design. I wear the shit out of it at least. But uh, if you guys buy anything from the merch store, always appreciate it. If you guys don't mind sending us a picture of you wearing it. Because we'd love to repost it on the pages. And of course, show that there's love and support out there in the world for all of us building up podcasters. And if you like to wear your cryptids, just go check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He has some really cool merch. Um, and as always, all the shit that we have been talking about is in the link tree in the show notes. So go and click that shit. But as far as the show goes, this will be the last part of our Jack Parsons series. So just like the last two, of course, Oren did most of the research for this. Well, pretty much all the research besides uh, what Jenny, I guess, was throwing in or bouncing back and forth. This one's all been these two. So I'm going to pass the mic over this time again to Oren so he can take it away on this awesome part three of Jack Parsons. The explosive finale. Ooh, damn. I should have got Ooh. some explosive sound effects. <laughs> damn it. I know. I'll let him in post. Man. It'll, it'll okay. go in post. <laughs> Nobody will know it any different. So. It'll be really funny, though, when the <laughs> listeners listen to that and there's an explosion when you say that. And then after I say, I'm going to add it in post, they'll be like, oh, you already did. Perfect. <laughs> it's magic. So. I would say movie magic, but it's not music. Let's call it radio magic. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, when we left our hero, Jack Parsons, at the end of part two. I wouldn't say hero, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, the hero of our story, if you would. The hero of his own story. He's on the hero's journey, you know? He's the the hero of his own story. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, you know, he had been scammed by L. Ron Hubbard with the uh, infamous yacht scheme. He had lost all his money, lost his girl, and was uh, in a really dark place at this point. So, now we are going to fast forward to May of 1948. And Jack Parsons, at this point, suffered another misfortune when he was again investigated by the FBI. And this time, he was investigated uh, because, you know, this was kind of during the whole Red Scare and, uh, you know, communist witch hunts and that kind of thing. And so he had had a lot of interaction with communists and communist sympathizers in his younger days. And so the, uh, the FBI didn't take too kindly to this. So they started investigating him. And uh, during this investigation, Parsons' connections to Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard and the occult were kind of uncovered. And so he was stripped of his government clearances at this point. But he later testified in court that communism went against the principles of Thelema and that his interest in the subject was purely intellectual. So I guess this you know, satisfied the FBI for a while and they reinstated his security clearance. 
But this was not the end of his misfortune, because around the same time, Jack Parsons and Audrey Cameron agreed to a temporary separation, and she moved to an artist's commune in Mexico, which, again, I think is hilarious. <laughs> so after he had you know, lost all his money, lost his first wife, lost his... I didn't mean to click that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fit, though. <laughs> yeah, or are we knocking on trees over here? <laughs> so, anywho, um, you know, Jack had lost his wife, lost all of his money. He was in a real dark place at this point. So, he went back to practicing the occult and practicing magic. And he began what he called a 17-day working of the wand which I would have to assume involves a lot of masturbation if it's called the working of the Ew. wand. Uh, he was probably working that wand hard. A little bit too but hard anyway, to the point of chafing. Yeah, he was probably <laughs> just raw. <laughs> but at the end of this working, he claimed that he had an out-of-body experience and he took an oath that he called the Oath of the Abyss. Well, that sounds great. And after, Yeah, it's very lighthearted stuff, probably. <laughs> And after taking this oath, he set out on a 40-day Thelemic ritual known as Crossing the Abyss. And so Crowley had undertaken a similar like magical retreat years earlier, and it was with the intention of uniting himself with the universal consciousness. And so Parsons referred to this as his Black Pilgrimage. And if we know anything about Jack up to this point, he really likes snappy names for things. So we've got crossing the abyss. We've got the oath of the abyss and we've got black pilgrimages. So they also like death metal albums. But. I was going to say, I feel like part of being an inventor is that you have to be really good at coming up with names too. Cause that's, that's like the half the fun. Part. Yeah. Yeah. Once you got the name, you're good to go. <laughs> it, are, it falls into place after that. Cause you can ruin yeah. a good product with a shitty name and you can also make a shitty product. Great with a great name. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just all marketing. <laughs> So, uh, Jack predicted that the manifestation of Babylon that he was, you know, trying to bring about with the whole Babylon working would occur within seven years from this point, but only if he was still alive by the end of that seven years, which is kind of a kind of dark prophecy. So kind of foretelling his own death a little bit. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, Should have had that done. as a sound effect too. <laughs> yeah, and it's more fun when we do it. So that's true. Um, in 1949, Parsons began working at the Hughes Aircraft Company, as in Howard Hughes. And if you remember back in episode one, we were talking about you know how uh, Tony Stark's dad in the Marvel movies is based after Parsons, and Tony Stark is based after Howard Hughes. And I said Howard Hughes is going to come up later. Well, this is it. Our boy Jack worked. For Howard Hughes. So Shocker. Another just weird connection. So around this time, uh, Cameron returned from Mexico and they kind of reconciled. But about a year later, Parsons once again found himself in hot water. And this time it was for quote unquote removing classified documents from Hughes aircrafts without permission. And Parsons intended to use these documents for a proposal that he was preparing that would help him gain employment with uh, the Israeli rocketry program. <laughs> so he's and, like, I don't get funding. I'm going to go to the Israelis. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, Israel was, like, just newly formed as a nation 
around this time. So this like really led to the government's suspicions of him that like he was, you know, conducting espionage and trying to steal government secrets to give to other countries when really he was just kind of trying to get over there to work on rockets again, it seems like to me. I mean, he was stealing shit from Crowley and trying to reuse it too. I mean, he's kind of seems to have a track record of this. <laughs> <laughs> he's just an entrepreneur. That's a, but, he's uh, a Thomas Edison type of entrepreneur. He takes yeah, something yeah. else <laughs> and then he tweaks it and then he calls it his. <laughs> Slaps a new name on it. You're good to go. That's so, the branding, man. Just rebranding it. Master absolutely. marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is pretty funny though. So this, um, proposal that he was working on to try to gain employment in Israel, like how he got caught with it is he gave this report to one of the like typist uh, like little office girls at Hughes Aircrafts to type this report up for him. And so I guess she figured out what he was doing and like turned him into the FBI <laughs> because he just like wouldn't type up his own report, which is some like 1950s madmen shit like you you got to have the the office girl type your own shit up for you, <laughs> but Anyway, so he was again investigated by the FBI because of this. And so he was immediately fired from Hughes Aircrafts, and the FBI accused him of espionage and stealing classified government documents. So he turned the documents back in. They were retrieved, and Parsons denied any wrongdoing. And he prepared a written statement saying, quote, I now realize that I was wrong in taking this material from the Hughes aircraft plant. And then he went on to say that he had had a serious error of judgment. And all that sounds like the most unapology apology I've ever heard. It's like when your mom makes you apologize mm -hmm. for like knocking down your sister or whatever. Like that's basically what Jack did here. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. All that Jack does is have, over and over, serious errors of judgment. <laughs> yeah. Like his life has been lived to have recurring serious errors of judgment. Well, I, I guess, I mean, he didn't specify which serious no, error no. of judgment he was talking <laughs> Just, about. Here's another one. Just add it to the list. Add it to the list. <laughs> so as this investigation continued, the government, you know, they already knew about his ties to Crowley and the occult. And the more they got digging into him, they kind of got more concerned about some of his activities. And in case y'all thought that the Jack Parsons saga couldn't get any crazier, this is where the Collins Elite stuff comes in. Ooh, now you're sparking my interest. Not that this hasn't already, but Collins Elite, ooh. <laughs> yeah, so, and I know I've like mentioned this briefly on the show a couple times, and yeah, you know, what I'm going to say here is barely, barely scratching the surface of all this Collins Elite stuff. I mean, you can ask Jenny. She There's saw my enough notes. stuff like he was trying to get this down to just one part. And I was like, we'd have to do a solid two-part series on the Collins Elite. It's fascinating. It's crazy. You've done a good job, so let's hear. In all but, yeah, fairness, if, though, we probably should at some point because I would love to dive into I that. I think so. Yeah, if the listeners are you know, interested in hearing that, I've already got all the notes. All we got to basically do is uh, break the glass and whoop them out at that point. So, Next series? Um, possibly. Yeah, yeah. So, 
You'll just have to see what uh, all the listeners think. Listeners, y'all. <laughs> Possibly you. Possibly but. you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I know I mentioned this a little bit in the first episode, but um, Nick Redfern, who I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with, uh, he wrote a book about the Collins Elite, and that's where I got a lot of this information from. It's called Final Events. I'm going to hold it up here for our video viewers. But um, highly would recommend that book. It's just fascinating. There's some crazy shit in there. And like I also said, uh, Hollow Sky Podcast did like a whole series on this book. They went through it like chapter by chapter. So if y'all want more information about this before we possibly get back to doing a deep dive on it, uh, there's a couple resources for you guys to check out. But anyway, with all that being said, the Collins Elite were slash are an unofficial secret group within the government. And the group is made up of military and intelligence personnel, like, you know, people from the FBI, the Department of Defense, things like that. And through their research, they came to the conclusion that the UFO and alien abduction phenomenon, and particularly the Greys, were not the work of actual extraterrestrials, but were an elaborate deception by demonic forces bent on enslaving humanity and feeding off of our souls. So basically, they thought that like what we perceive as extraterrestrials were like literal biblical hell demons. Like these people had a very, very Christian mindset. So, you know, as we get into this a little bit further, you know, I think there's definitely something to a lot of their thoughts and opinions about things. But I think it's also like a, a language issue, like we always talk about, you know, one person's alien is another person's extraterrestrial. Like, this is that turned up to 11, basically. I mean, that's something I've talked about for a long time, too. And I mean, I like to entertain the idea that, you know, in the formation of humans, there could have possibly been two different races of extraterrestrials that are dealing with us. And maybe one made the other look like an enemy. And that's where he had this angels and demons idea. But that's, I don't know, something I've talked about even before the yeah, Collins Elite yeah, thing. Absolutely. And it's the language like, barrier, like you said. Warring factions of extraterrestrials seems to me like the most logical or ultra terrestrials, you know, uh, elemental, whatever you want to call them. But I mean, I've always thought that the, just at least in my opinion, the ones that we refer to as reptilians would have been like the ones playing the demon role. Because I always kind of wonder if it's a matter of like, they tried to bestow knowledge of, on us of the universe and we rejected them and saw them as the bad guys. So they just eventually were like, fuck you. I guess we will be the bad guys. But I mean, yeah, that's, that that's just my own personal as, theory. <laughs> well, and like, as far as like why people are just innately like scared of snakes and shit like that, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense when you really sit down and think of, about it. But, um, I mean, even in the Bible anyway, with the serpent thing too, I mean, it kind of fits the reptilian idea. That's why, again, yeah, I've always entertained yeah, the idea that the reptilians are the ones that were referred to as the biblical demons. And originally they were like, all right, well, you guys are slaves. So maybe we'll try to help them out a little bit. And we were just like, you know, Stockholm syndrome with our creators. And we just, chalked them up to be the bad guys so they said fuck it we're just gonna be the bad guys now <laughs> yeah i've got this other really good book uh the title of it is escaping me right now but it was this preacher and i think he was from like australia or something and uh, he suffered some kind of injury and so basically he was like out of commission for like six months and he just like went through 
the Genesis accounts and basically was like, you know, the story we've been told is not the true translation. Like he went through the actual like translations, like this is all talking about multiple plural entity. You know, it's not one God against one demon devil, what have you. And so that's a really good book. That would be a possibly good series or episode to maybe tackle at some point, but no, I'm fascinated by all this and like, what could these creation Genesis type accounts really mean? You know, Mm -hmm. that's again, it's like a one perspective thing that it's like, you know, there, that's why it's like hard for a lot of religion. It's, it's hard to like place yourself in one religion when you start doing all this kind of deep research, because at least for me, I start viewing it as just like different perspectives of the same events and the same scenarios rather than like separate individual religion is it's just everybody's perspective from different cultures honestly sure yeah and you know that's kind of to me the problem with religion like we talk about on the show all the time keep an open mind and when people start claiming to have answers you should probably be really leery of that and the whole basis of religion is claiming that not only do you have the answers your answers are right and everybody else's is wrong and so uh, anyway that's kind of I know we got a little off topic there, but uh, the Collins Elite stuff will send you down some damn rabbit holes. Oh, yeah, real quick. It's already sparking interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like I said, we'll definitely have to have to come back to this if you guys are interested. But uh, the Collins Elite also came to believe uh, that, and this is a quote, someone had invoked something and it opened a doorway to let these things in, end quote. And they came to believe that this was primarily the work of two people, Aleister Crowley and Jack Parsons. They believe that Crowley had cracked open a doorway when he made contact with the entity he called Lamb. And, uh, you know, just as a refresher for our listeners, that's the, the entity that a lot of people say looks like a gray alien or the, you know, Whitley Stryber communion creature. That's this thing. And then they thought that Parsons and Hubbard kind of kicked this doorway wide open when they did the Babylon working, which again, if you guys remember from last episode, when we were talking about, you know, these ideas that maybe Hubbard was kind of the driving force behind the Babylon working and his entire goal was to open some sort of doorway for these old gods to come through. That's basically what the Collins elite decided and that they were successful at this. And they believed that the opening of this doorway is what directly caused kind of the UFO wave of the 1940s, because all that kind of started kicking off shortly after the Babylon working was completed. So as we know from the previous episode, uh, the Babylon working was conducted from January to March of 1946 And then the Kenneth Arnold sighting and Roswell happened, you know, the next summer. So we're talking about a year, year and a half later when basically the floodgates on all this opened. And allegedly, and granted, this is a really big allegedly, but according to this book and, you know, these Collins elite people's research, Jack Parsons was questioned after the Kenneth Arnold sighting because they supposedly had mutual acquaintances and, quote, a limited degree of personal contact. And some people have speculated that Parsons and Arnold may have even flown together and were, like, flying partners at some point in time, but... 
Um, I have not found any, and in the book, they didn't say that there was any like concrete evidence for that. So again, very big allegedly, but that's kind of a strange coincidence. But what is more than a coincidence, we know this for a fact. Um, Robert Goddard, who, if you guys remember from the previous episodes, was an American rocket scientist who had his facility in Roswell, New Mexico. We know Parsons and his buddy uh, Foreman were in contact with Goddard, and we know that Goddard invited Frank Molina, one of uh, Parsons' Gausset buddies, to come and visit his facility. So that's beyond coincidence. Like we know that this connection. So Parsons either, you know, tangentially or directly had ties to both Roswell and, you know, the uh, Kenneth Arnold sightings, which is pretty crazy when you sit down and think about it. Mm -hmm. So moving on from that, um, when Parsons was questioned, supposedly, after the Kenneth Arnold sighting, he did not deny that he was responsible for opening the doorway that allowed the UFOs to come through. But, you know, everything we know about Jack to this point, he had a flair for the dramatic. So this could just be him posturing and just, yep, I did it. I opened the doorway. But, <laughs> I mean, it's at least something fun to think about. I was really hoping you do a voice for him opening the doorway. I was literally thinking that in my head, and then you did it. It was perfect. I mean, I don't have as many direct Jack Parsons quotes in this section, so the, the voices might be few and far between, but I'll try to throw them in there and keep it spicy. I single-handedly opened the doorway. <laughs> That's probably exactly what he said. Now, excuse me, I'm going to masturbate. <laughs> I'm, doing a, I'm doing a solo sex ritual. Leave me alone. <laughs> in the bathroom. <laughs> in my room with the door locked. So, don't bother Parsons, me, Mom, when I'm trying to conduct my rituals. <laughs> I'm doing a working. <laughs> working on myself. Blow on this, blow on this mirror, Mom, while I look at it. <laughs> the magical tablet, Mom. Try here. <laughs> so Parsons did feel that flying saucers would quote play a part in converting the world to Crowleyanity, which you know is kind of his whole idea behind the Babylon working was to move the world toward these more thelemic, you know, do as thou wilt, free love, everybody love everybody, do your own thing ideas. And he, you know, is on record saying that he thought flying saucers were part of that. And later in her life, Marjorie Cameron, who, you know, we discussed a little bit about how wild she was in the last episode, but she became obsessed with UFOs and she believed that they were not technological, but, quote, a restoration of the elemental powers, which I think is a really cool quote because, I mean, that could be ultra-terrestrials. That could be, like, so many things we talk about on this show. And kind of the deeper we get into all this, I'm not sure I disagree with her. You know, I think there is an extraterrestrial component to a lot of this stuff, but I've, I've been saying... For a while, I think there's this other component, and whether it's ultra-terrestrials, elementals, whatever, I don't have the word for it, but I think she might be onto something here. It's kind of funny how it came into full effect now, where it's something that everybody talks about. Where most people don't even like calling aliens extraterrestrials anymore, because it doesn't really exactly. fit the idea, but this person was way ahead of their game in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about in the Edgar Casey episode, these people... 
70 years ago were basically hitting on stuff that's like just now become talking points. So, I mean, maybe these people were kind of tapped into something, you know? Extra dimensionals. You got to mix the two. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So, uh, after Parsons' death in 1952, uh, there was concern within the government that this doorway he had opened could not be closed. And if you guys remember from when we talked to Plug, Alan H. Greenfield. Plug, plug, plug. He was kind of, yeah, plug, plug, plug. He was kind (laughs) of talking about the importance of closing Closing your portals. Yeah, and again, I don't know nearly as much about all this kind of stuff as you do, Jenny. So if you want to jump in at any point, but... I just wanted to throw also, in here the whole thing with like Ouija boards because it's been a talking point lately with Ouija boards, and that's one of the rules is you got to make sure that you close it and end the conversation when you're done. I cannot believe you said that because we were just having this discussion. Was it yesterday? Oh, yeah, a couple days ago. So we were, <laughs> you know, we were talking, and I won't, I'll make this really short about tools that people use in ghost hunting, and a lot of people, hey, no shade, whatever you want to do, like to use Ouija boards, and I don't like Ouija boards and it's for that reason you don't know (laughs) most people playing with them myself included when I was a child you're opening something but you don't know who's coming through and you don't know how to close it and at that point if you've got something that's just lingering very close to to the surface and comes through it's not going to want to leave so yes back to closing stuff um, I don't think people know how to close them with a Ouija board. I don't, and I don't think Jack Parsons knew how to close shit. So supposedly what? there's like 20 rules for using a Ouija board and they say to carefully make sure you know all of them before you even start. But my question when it comes to Ouija boards is like, what's the difference of that between like a spirit box? Because it's almost like the analog versus like the digital version of the same thing. And at, at that, at that case, like, is using a Ouija board different because it's more of like a ritual or isn't using a spirit box almost like a ritual? But then again, at that point, it's like if they are pretty much the analog and digital version of the same thing, wouldn't you almost have to apply the same rules if you used a spirit box then? I don't think it's the same at all. I think when you're listening to a spirit box, you're listening for something that's already present to make it itself known, to speak to you. When you play with the Ouija board, you are actually asking for something to come from somewhere else. So it's like catching what, versus summoning almost then. I that I think that's a great way to put it. Wouldn't you kind of agree with that? Well, it's funny, like before Shane said the word, I was thinking to myself, you know, the Ouija board thing is, is a ritual. And Uh, If we've learned anything through, you know, this series and our talk with Greenfield and just our own research, there's something to this idea of ritual. And intent. Yes. And and wherein when you're listening to a spirit box, you're just kind of listening. You're not an... uh, you're, you're a passive participant instead exactly. of an active participant. You're maybe. listening to hear what you hear. And it's my understanding that anyone can hear on a spirit box. You don't. I mean, if you start talking back, though, aren't you almost like inviting him where that might be like maybe not necessarily a ritual, but like almost like opening the door or like inviting them in once you start trying to like have when you're not just using it and catching stuff, but you're actually trying to like talk and communicate back and forth. I think the difference is you're trying to talk and communicate with something that's already in this 
this realm that's already here. Like if I turn my spirit box on now and try to talk to it's something, in it's this not room, with the intent of opening. I'm a not doorway. asking or inviting a spirit to come from somewhere else. Just like a Does passerby. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, something that's already right in this room right now. Well, and kind of piggybacking off of that. Uh, I can't take credit for this. Um, it's actually in the, hellbent holler deep dive episode where they like briefly touch on jack parsons uh they're talking about this idea that you know if these extraterrestrials these beings whatever you want to call them are true extraterrestrials you know we've been beaming fucking uh radio signals out in space for you know 50 years however long at this point haven't got anything back but you know with basically fucking black magic and ritual and intent, people seem to be able to make something happen. Like, why is it, this is not a technological thing, you know, like the way to contact these things is not through technology, like a spirit box or it's through ritual. It may be a language barrier though. Cause if you're projecting stuff out to space, it's almost like you're throwing like random gibberish if they don't understand the language versus like, when you try to use like the spiritual means of connecting with them, it seems that they connect with each other through like telepathy and they like don't seem to have like a, like a speech. It's more so that they just like portray ideas back and forth with each other through an exchange of the mind. So maybe it's like the difference of like not speaking their language and just throwing gibberish at them versus like speaking their language because you're using something that's like beyond words, you know? I, you know, that's possible, but I really think at the end of the day, it's just all tapping into, it's what you're tapping into. And I think, like we've talked about, intention matters a lot. Yeah. And knowing, like, let's just get honest, a lot of this is magic and there are, there are steps to magic. And these are steps that have been taught to people from some other place. So, yeah, intention, ritual, it all matters. Everybody, well, just be safe if you're trying to contact stuff. That's that's the moral <laughs> of the story here. Make sure you read all the rules of whatever contact device you're using, even a spirit box, before you start trying to fuck with trying to have a conversation with something on the other side. Be it if it's interdimensional or it's something on the spirit plane, just be safe, everybody. And, you know, I, I'm, if, if people have had positive experiences and good experiences playing with your Ouija board, more power to you. I personally have had some real bad experiences where I know things have come through. And this was long before I knew anything about uh, uh, magic and being a witch and all this stuff. This was when I was like a teenager. Um, and it will, it will lie about what it is. It will present itself as a loved one or somebody who's passed on. And now I think that that wasn't true at all. And I think some of that stuff, I think I got some hitchhikers too, which well, kind of. I'm going to. Oh, are you? Yeah. Wow. This so, is crazy. Okay. So two thoughts. Uh, number one, you know, this whole idea of like not closing the doorway. What have we said about our boy Jack for two and a half episodes now? Whenever he was done something. Oh. Done. On to the next thing. Like he was not all about, you know, uh, tying up loose ends. So I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I've never once fucked with a Ouija board. I like want to after I read all the rules and I'm safe about it, but I've never once done it. And technically, well, I was gonna say I don't own one, but I kind of do. 
because I own the world's smallest Ouija board. If you guys have ever seen those like toys, you know, they make like the mini board mm -hmm. games and shit. So I have like a Ouija board that's like fucking three inches by three inches and shit. But I kind of want to like, like, I don't know. It's, it's a back and forth. Like I kind of want to like try it after knowing all the rules, but at the same time though, it's like maybe not. <laughs> I would say look up protection. There's ways to protect yourself and you need to have the intention of protection um yeah yeah so what i was gonna hit on uh luckily you know these pages of collins elite notes that i cut from this i printed them out just to have them because i figured we were going to get into some stuff that i was going to need them so start off as jack parsons we've sidetracked but it's totally worth it <laughs> well i knew we were going to cut we're, we're going to bring it all back around but uh, like I said, so the Collins elite, um, they decided that the abduction phenomenon was like really crucial to this whole idea of these, you know, demonic that they thought entities or whatever you want to call them. And they were particularly interested in three categories of people who experienced abductions. It was those who invited the experience into their lives uh, those who experimented with the occult, and they directly mentioned, you know, Ouija boards. And this one I thought was interesting, and Jenny, you probably will too, in light of uh, some of the stories you've shared with us. Those whose parents somehow opened a doorway and created a generational cycle of phenomena. So they said those were the three hallmarks that they came to. People that this shit happens to, it's one of those three things. That's crazy because I probably check at least two of those three boxes. Yeah, at least. <laughs> we just got to do a paranormal investigation documentary on Jenny and her family. Ooh. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> that would be a can of worms that I, I don't know if uh, the listeners want us to open. <laughs> but anyway, like I was saying, kind of jumping back into the notes a little bit. Um, after Parsons' death, the government was concerned that this portal or doorway could not be closed. And in 1952, after his death, there did seem to be kind of another uptick in UFO activity. And the popular, famous, whatever you want to call it, 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with, that happened like a week and a half after Parsons' death. So these cons elite guys basically thought that like that was a direct result of Parsons' death with these, you know, orbs extraterrestrial ships whatever you want to call them showing up over the white house for two weekends in a row what if his death was like part of like a ritual because you know there's always like sacrifice involved in rituals in order oh, to bring something big that comes that over a little bit later so hint hint <laughs> um, yeah so at this time after his death when they you know became concerned about this doorway not being able to be closed uh the government started a small secret project at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which should always be, you know, red flags to all of our listeners. Anytime people talk about Wright-Patterson, you know, that's sirens going off. There's something weird and clandestine probably going on at that point. And the goal of this project was to research this situation and try to find some way to potentially close this doorway. And so this group became known as the Collins Elite, because occasionally, you know, they would bring in consultants for assistance on certain matters. 
And one of the guys they brought in was an expert in demonology. And this guy was from a small town in New York, and the name of the town was Collins. And this town was basically known for just producing cheese. Like, that's all they did. There was, like, three cheese production factories in this town. That's fucking cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Cheesy as hell. <laughs> I just take so, the dad joke, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, you know, was super excited to be working on government projects and whatnot. And, you know, the other guys in the group kind of joked with him that he was the elite of Collins. And so the name just kind of stuck at that point. And, you know, these guys... Like I said, this is just scratching the surface. There's some crazy shit about like abductions and crop circles and like the nature of the human soul and like government cover ups of abductions. And, you know, some of these people think that, you know, these demons aren't really the ones who are doing the abductions and it's actually just the government doing them and testing technology and like men in black type shit. It's crazy. And, you know, we'll get into this as much as you guys want to, but like I said, this could be a whole episode easy. I just got to drop one last thing before we move on from the next thing to this, but just an idea that I've thought about a few times. So obviously everybody knows about MK Ultra, all the kind of weird testing they're doing involving like psychedelic drugs, shit like that. If you were trying to conduct experiments on people, obviously you can't make it known that it's you. So if you were going to conduct an experiment on somebody, you don't know what type of like psychedelics the government might have access to that the general public has never even fucking heard of. I mean, how easy would it be to give somebody some type of strong psychedelic and literally just wear a shitty plastic alien mask and have them completely be like, oh my God, I'm on an operating table with a bunch of aliens. And realistically, it's just people fucking with them just wearing like a, a suit with a fucking rubber alien mask. Like, I mean, I'm not obviously, I obviously think that there is actual alien abductions. I don't want people to think I don't think that. But I definitely think that there is a number of them where it's the government pretending to be aliens with people under the influence of some type of psychedelic drugs. All right. So I'm going to try to make this quick, but I'm going to uh, consult my backup notes here again. So <laughs> I opened a can of worms. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, so this one, I think, Shane, you'll really find interesting because of, you know, kind of your frequency and portal and all that kind of thoughts that you've been kicking around here lately. So... I can't find it in my notes, but I basically know the gist of it. So there is this repeated uh, alien abductee. This woman had been abducted like five times, and she said it always happened the same way. She heard this humming sound, and all the power in her house went out, and she'd see these you know, little creatures that would take her outside to their ship, and then she wouldn't remember anything, and then she'd wake up later in a different part of the house. And that's how the first four of her abductions went. Well, on the fifth one, you know, the, the humming sound started. And so she basically knew this process was starting again. And she said that, like, the humming sound just abruptly stopped. And she said, you know, these beings, these extraterrestrials, like, it's basically like the fucking facade fell. And she said in their place in her fucking living room were this group of men in, like, just black combat fatigues and when they realized that oh whatever the humming sound that you know made this illusion happen broke or you know malfunctioned whatever they ran outside to a black helicopter and got in this helicopter and flew away which that you know hits so many you know kind of mib type you know check marks you know the black helicopter the the men in fatigues all this kind of stuff so 
I mean, it kind of fits the theory I've thrown back and forth on like reptilians and Sasquatch too, is that they have some type of like tele telepathic ability where they don't physically change themselves, but they are able to physically change what they look like to somebody else and like their perception. And this is something that I've even thrown with the whole idea of like skinwalkers, for example, is that they aren't actually morphing and changing into an animal. Like if I'm trying to be like realistic, I don't think that that's, I mean, maybe it's possible, but I don't know for sure. I feel like it sounds more plausible though, that something has the ability to be able to like change what they look like to somebody through some type of like mental ability or like change in frequency or something like that. And basically they just are covering up their image in this reality with something else, but they're not actually physically changing. And obviously if this is the case, the government already knows about this technology and who knows what the hell could be in front of us if this is already, this gate's already been opened. Well, and that's kind of part of this too. Like as the Collins elite went on, it kind of splintered into subgroups and some people within the group wanted to, you know, directly contact these entities with the idea of working with them and gaining this technology for military purposes. And supposedly they were successful at this and they basically did it through like black magic and rituals and rites and whatnot. And at one point in the book, they're interviewing this guy and he talks about, you know, whatever this technology, this device is it basically works on like a quantum level and creates some kind of, for lack of a better term, like a, not a hologram and not a hallucination, but you know, somewhere in that ballpark, but it can also be physically interacted with. And this guy said that the Rendlesham forest UFO crash was basically all a hoax and it was done using this technology and it was done for the purpose of basically testing how people would react to a UFO alien type situation, which I think is really interesting in light of all this disclosure bullshit that's been going on. Like basically yeah. they're saying this is all just testing how people are going to react to a possible alien presence. I just wanted to throw this in because I've been talking about it a lot on inquiries, but the whole Peruvian face peelers idea, I mean, I bounce back and forth on that. I want to obviously believe in extraterrestrials because it's fascinating. Well, believe that they're already here, so to speak. But I definitely think that m my mind more so sways towards that this whole Peruvian face peelers incident is actually some type of government technology that they're planning on testing out in a small village, thinking that nobody would know about it. And then the small village, you know, start talking to the media, start talking to their government, all this kind of well, shit. Maybe and it blew they out of proportion. The the people in the small village to know about it and report, you know, maybe they're just again, gauging people's reaction, but no, that, I mean, it's probably like more believable for a small village than if they tried to do it on like a, you know, like an American city, you know, cause obviously the yeah. people that are, that are living in the jungle in Peru, they're a lot more of like a spiritual people. So it's probably a lot easier to try to pull some shit off like this on them than it would be if they just tried to do it in some normal suburban American city somewhere. I mean, there's a Las yeah, Vegas thing, but obviously there's a lot of questions with that, but that wasn't nearly as extreme as this whole face peelers thing. Like if they're going to try to do some kind of crazy incident, you're going to want to go with a group of people. That's a more spiritual people. Who's going to see a weird creature and instantly call it a creature and not think it's like a guy in a suit, for example. And people are automatically going to be a little more leery about what these, you know, people in the jungles of Peru are saying rather than people in suburban Las Vegas, you know? So, I mean, it seems like, yeah, that would have been a perfect testing ground for this kind of shit. 
I'm looking out for it too. This is my theory. I think that there is going to be one incident like this on each continent because if they're trying to do this whole thing where they like combine everybody, make everybody team up under like a fit false alien invasion, you want to make sure that everybody feels like they're involved in it. And the way to do that is to have one incident on each continent. So I feel like, all right, they got South America now. They got North America. I feel like the next big one weird thing that's going to happen is going to be Australia, Europe, or Asia. That's that's my theory. But they got to do, there's going to be, it's going to not necessarily be in that order, but they got to do one on each continent so that everybody mm-hmm. feels like they're involved. Yeah, and that goes back to, you know, Ronald Reagan bullshit. Like, if we just had a, a otherworldly extraterrestrial threat, you know? Even if it's just something small in each spot, and then they just kind of instill instill fear. Like even if they don't go past like one incident in each continent, I feel like there's still going to be this like weariness of people, and maybe it'll still kind of get what they're trying to have happen because they're going to be like, oh, we all need to team up before the big invasion happens. Yeah. So they never actually even have to try yeah. to do a full on invasion. They just have these little pocket incidents that pop up here and there. Yeah, between this and disclosure, you know, oh my God, they're here type thing, you know. It's kind of sad that the U.S. government's finally like, yeah, aliens probably exist. And everybody's like, motherfucker, I don't believe you now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, like we said, uh, we're going to start believing the government now. <laughs> yeah, especially they couldn't have done it at a worse time. If they were going to do this shit, they should have done it before the whole pandemic. But now that they did it after the pandemic, it just makes it that much fishier. You know, like if they would have started this beforehand, people probably would have taken it more into consideration and been like, oh, shit. <laughs> Well, and like we've talked about a little bit, too, I mean, I think in a way, people being at home by themselves for a year, you know, people had time to research and look into things and listen to podcasts that they might not have otherwise done, you know, so I, I think I think the whole paranormal community has got a bit of a bump because of that, you know, people are just you know, researching and looking into things more and had more time to themselves to think and look into this shit, you know? I mean, I threw a theory on... It's pro- I think it's going to end up dropping out for this, but it was on inquiries. Now that we know which people are digging into this stuff and which people aren't, it kind of makes you wonder if maybe the we were like, oh, yeah, we got the one up on them because people started doing research, but maybe we all just actually put a flag on us because now they know which people they're not going to be able to pull shit over on. So now they can go, oh, we ain't got to worry about these people. They're going to go along with everything we say. But this group of people is the ones that we have to take care of now. Yeah, I, not I mean, take care of, but you know, like you know, take care of, and uh, everybody, 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 get a weapon before they come for us. <laughs> well, I mean, that would be kind of you know right out of the playbook of this stuff we're talking about here, and yeah, I, I'm sorry we've gone on so many rabbit holes down this, but I kind of figured we would once we got into it because there's just so much of this Collins Elite stuff that touches on so much stuff that's kind of going on now. So. I'm gonna call this episode Jack Parson Part Three. And alien stuff. (laughs) So I'll jump back into. Oh, there we go. Got the allotments. That wasn't wasn't a very big allotment one. (laughs) Everybody grab your allotments. It's time for Bizarre Encounters. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to jump back into uh, Jack Parsons a little bit here. Uh, So in January of 1952, after a year of official investigation, uh, Parsons' security clearance with the government was permanently revoked, and this effectively ended his career in rocketry 
in the U.S. And he was kind of still trying to get to uh, Israel at this point so he could continue working on rockets. Uh, but he worked odd jobs during this time, and he was doing consulting work for some you know, kind of rocket and explosive manufacturers. And he converted the laundry room of him and Cameron's house into a laboratory so he could do experiments with explosives. And he also started homebrewing absinthe because, of course, he fucking <laughs> did. I want to see and, the green fairy. <laughs> uh, he, he had probably seen shit way crazier than that. Like, what would absinthe have done for this guy? <laughs> He's seeing green uh, portals instead of green fairies. He's, he's full on seeing the other side. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, he had gone on the black pilgrimage. So he's just chasing the fairies like the fairies ain't enough. Show me where your portals are. <laughs> 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 now let me go do my ritual alone. <laughs> All right. All right. So Parsons also founded a company that he called the Parsons Chemical Manufacturing Company. And he kind of created explosions and other special effects for uh, movie sets and the film industry through this company. Since he couldn't like practice rockets anymore, he was blowing up shit for movies. <laughs> when you can't do it for science anymore, you do it for movies. <laughs> you do it for fun. So also around this time, and this is a good zinger, L. Ron Hubbard allegedly wrote Jack Parsons a letter offering to return Sarah to him. So he was like trying to return a human being like she was like fucking something on layaway at Walmart. <laughs> you so. can have your bitch back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just here again, L. Ron Hubbard, just a, a real stand up guy. So I'm done with her. I've used her enough. Have fun with her. You can have my he sloppy seconds. played with seconds. her for only a little. Yeah. So wouldn't that wait? Wouldn't that be how would that work? If it was your girl first and then somebody takes it, they already got the sloppy seconds. You're getting the sloppy thirds now. <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of inception level bullshit that is, but or is it still sloppy seconds because you're the you're the first going back again now for the second time? Is it just like leftovers at that point? Like <laughs> it's like reheating spaghetti or something. It's not even leftovers; it's the scraps. <laughs> it's always better the next day. <laughs> Sometimes, <Yeah. laughs> depending on what you're cooking. In this case, I feel like he's trying to recook an egg. <laughs> well, he's trying to. Recook something, but <laughs> no, I imagine old Sarah just wasn't quite as good as at scrying in the flesh as uh Marjorie Cameron was. Well, it yeah. was his Scarlet Lady. We know this exactly. <laughs> Speaking of Parsons and Cameron, were preparing for an extended trip to Mexico, and it's been theorized that while they're in Mexico, Parsons was going to start working on some super secret explosive project that was supposed to, you know, revolutionize explosives. It's and explosive. Ultimate, yeah. And uh, his ultimate goal was still to end up working in Israel. But this is kind of like a, a, a stop on the way to that. But in the midst of all this... Parsons died on June 17th, 1952 at 8.05 p.m. So he was working in his home lab, and there was an explosion. So you're telling me he was and, working in the lab late one night? Uh, 5.02 p.m. So, <laughs> Damn, almost I mean, got it. <laughs> I mean, that could have been early for him. We don't know. I mean, he could have been, you know, on the other side of it, but. Anyway, there's this explosion and it triggered a second explosion because of allegedly, you know, all the chemicals that he had in this home lab where he was also brewing his absinthe. 
So in the explosion, Parsons' right forearm was blown completely off. His left arm and both legs were broken, and he had like a gaping hole torn in the right side of his face. So he was still conscious when he was discovered by his neighbors, and they kind of pulled him out of this rubble and wreckage. And he was pronounced dead at 5.45 p.m. Can I tell this part? Yeah. A full 37 minutes after the explosion. This fucker laid there with half an arm, broken legs, and... A hole in his face. Half a hole face. In his face <laughs> for 37 minutes. That's That got? was probably the longest 37 minutes that anybody could ever experience, dude. Like, holy shit. <laughs> I just can't imagine. Well, I don't know how a human being can withstand that, but hell, maybe once you've seen the other side. <laughs> this is the super morbid side of me coming out on this one, but is there any pictures of this? I kind of want to, like, it's fucked up as it sounds. I kind of want to see what this guy's uh, status was at this time. <laughs> I mean, allegedly, I think there are pictures, but they're like, you know, police crime scene shit. They're not in the book. I'll but. have to uh, consult my uh, deep web consultant on this one. I'm sure he could probably find some. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the dark web somewhere. Shout out to Tex. Beyond top secret Tex, and he can find fucking anything on the deep web. <laughs> we need some uh, some Parsons porn here. <laughs> <laughs> some people are. Dude, that's, that's smut films, bro. That makes up half of the deep web, bro. People just like watching fucked up shit, and it gets them off. Well, it's a magical fiasco. What a magical fiasco. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> allotments. Allotments. <laughs> Every time you so, crack a beer, you just got to yell allotments after. Allotments. Allotments. <laughs> so adding on to the creepy factor, Jack's last words were reportedly, I wasn't done. Say, I was kind of hoping I, they were like, fuck. I wasn't done. <laughs> I wasn't done. I wasn't done. Which is kind of funny in light of we all know what you know Jesus's last words were, supposedly, it is finished. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, there there might be something to unpack there. You can't tell me if there wasn't a modern day Bible that I wouldn't be Jesus. <laughs> but you got to do it in a Parsons voice instead of a Kanye West voice. Well, I mean, Kanye kind of seems like the modern day Jack Parsons kind of. Ooh, like, coming full crazy circle, men. Just you gotta do the voice. Man. You can't. You're telling me if there wasn't a modern day Bible that I wouldn't be Jesus. <laughs> that sounded very don't South Park. Care about? <laughs> Ron does not care about Parsons. <laughs> so, Damn it, Marjorie! I wasn't finished. Or wait, I wasn't done. <laughs> sounds like he was uh, doing something else. Looks like, sounds like he was doing another ritual. Ooh, he probably was. So when Parsons' mother found out about his passing, uh, she took a large dose of sleeping pills and unalived herself. Yeah, you can't and, say that word, otherwise you get flagged. Yeah, I don't want to get flagged. Uh, I mean, all this uh, good, wholesome content we've had up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> Real family-friendly show, this one is. But, Always. Uh, We're super family-friendly. <laughs> so while this explosion happened, Marjorie Cameron was actually away from the house, and she was buying supplies for the upcoming Mexico trip. So Parsons' death was ruled an accident, and the official quote-unquote theory is that Parsons received a last-minute rush order for explosives for a film, and he had already packed away a lot of his equipment for the Mexico trip, so he was mixing the explosives in a coffee can. That sounds smart. 
And the reason they think this is they allegedly found like shrapnel from a coffee can at the scene. So, you know, the theory is he's mixing these explosive chemicals in a coffee can and he dropped the can, which I don't know if I mentioned this before, but he was like a profusive sweater. Like he was really known for sweating and like this bothered him throughout his life. And he wore a lot of cologne to cover up uh, his sweat smell. And that's also why people thought he was so effeminate when he was younger is because, you know, I guess in those times, if you wore a lot of cologne, you were just automatically effeminate but you know what's kind of weird to think about though is he was worried about all of his sweating but all the pictures you find of him he's wearing a full-on fucking suit in the middle of the desert like what did did you expect was gonna happen (laughs) yeah but i guess that's kind of just how people dressed back then but why the fuck weren't people wearing shorts in the desert what the hell man who's wearing a full fucking suit in the desert what is this (laughs) our boy jack so (laughs) i gotta look fancy all the time just in case i open a portal and meet the other side (laughs) i'm a dapper gentleman i gotta be dapper So that's kind of the the official theory. He was, you know, mixing shit in this coffee can, dropped the coffee can. It exploded, triggered a reaction with all these other chemicals in his home lab, and that's what happened. But some of his associates said that he never would have been so sloppy in his work, which seemed like bullshit, because others said that the way he handled explosives was, quote, criminally negligent. Which obviously seems more likely to me. This was not a guy who did things by the book, which we've found for two and a half episodes now. I mean, I feel like if you do this stuff enough, and clearly he did this shit his entire life, he probably got too comfortable, you know, where when you get too comfortable, you stop taking precautions because you're like, I got this. I've done it a million times. But that's something people need to always remember is it doesn't matter how many times you rock climb, doesn't matter how many times you do whatever. Always take the proper precautions. Otherwise, the one time that you don't is going to be your last time you do it. (laughs) It's funny you say that because the next line in the notes says that Frank Molina said after Parsons' death that, quote, Parsons' familiarity with explosives led to contempt. So there you go. Yep. So like we said, several containers of explosives were found at the scene and supposedly one of the police officers said that there was enough explosives in the lab to, quote, blow up half the block. However, after his death, many of his friends and associates like automatically started questioning the official story and narrative that was being spun. And they suspected that there was some sort of conspiracy or foul play involved. And the newspapers reported that the explosion was called by fulminate of mercury, which I'm not a chemist. I have no idea what that is. But some experts said that the explosion was far too large for that to have been the cause. I mean, if they were worried about him fucking with portals, like the U.S. government was already worried about it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a hit. Or if exactly. they knew that he had some stuff he was working on that they weren't, he wasn't giving over to the government, so to speak. You know, maybe you just take him out so that you can steal all of his documents and have all of his work. I mean, I mean, there were plenty of people who would have had a vendetta against him at this point. Just, I mean, even in general, just somebody wanting to steal his work at the most basic of it. Maybe it wasn't the government. Maybe it was somebody that just wanted to steal his work. And do something else with it, you know? Or they're worried, maybe it was somebody from the OTO, maybe they're worried he was fucking around with too many portals, and maybe Crowley finally came and got his revenge on him for stealing all of his shit. (laughs) So rather than sending him into a a desert retreat to become a god, he just blew him up. 
Yeah, you sent him to uh, explore the real abyss across <laughs> to across the, the real abyss. abyss. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, kind of in that same vein, Marjorie Cameron claimed after his death that through accessing the astral plane, which hard to argue with that. that that's rock solid logic there, Marjorie. <laughs> she was able to see a bottle of mercury hidden beneath the floorboards of Parsons lab. And she went on to say that the explosion occurred beneath the floorboards and lifted them up, implying that he was murdered. So, I mean, we, we cannot disprove that she did not go into the astral plane and see this. So, <laughs> I mean, I just want to throw a theory here, though. If he was missing half of his arm and he broke his legs and his other arm, just at least from like my process of evaluation, I feel like whatever exploded was in that hand that's missing. Like, I don't know, it wouldn't make sense the explosion would happen up and make him miss an arm, I feel like it had to have been something that was in his hand. Like, why else would that hand have been blown off, you know? Unless he was doing something and an explosion happened and it triggered another explosion of something he was holding in his hand, but there was still some kind of explosion that also would have happened in his hand. <laughs> well, you know, what's so fun, and uh, fun's probably not the right word, interesting about all this to me is there's so many ways to go with all this because... You know, the easiest thing to believe is, you know, this was just a dude who we know is kind of sloppy and negligent with how he handled this sort of thing. He probably did just, you know, make a mistake and blow himself up. But by the same token, there's so much other shit surrounding that, like, would anything surprise any of you guys no. at this point with this story? You know, no, I mean, it could be an someone didn't switch like some of his explosives out for different ones yeah. that would have been, you know, more um, combative when they uh, <laughs> explosive. I mean, it could have been an intentional setup, too, where they could have just left it underneath the floorboards, just in like, knowing that it was maybe something that would explode after something else exploded, so they knew that Jack Parson was going to blow up something at some point, and it was just a matter of time before he blows something up, and then because of maybe the heat or whatever gets caused from that explosion, it ends up triggering this other explosion underneath, and I mean, that might make sense. Maybe he had something in his hand and he blew up his hand and he would have theoretically been fine besides missing half an arm, except for that also triggered something that happened under his feet. And that's why he got launched up and it broke his legs. I mean, just, just to throw an idea in. I mean, if you know this guy is always fucking around and there's it's only a matter of time before he fucks up something and blows something up. I mean, you just leave the shit underneath his floorboards and just wait, essentially. <laughs> well, and yeah, it seems like everyone's pretty much on board with there's multiple explosions that happened. It's just why and what led to said multiple explosions. I mean, even so still, if he just blew up one thing, if he has a bunch of other chemicals in his office, assumably it's going to be a chain chain reaction that everything's going to blow up because of the last thing blowing up. Exactly. Uh, but you know, kind of piggybacking off of all this, uh, Marjorie Cameron suspected and this is going way back to part one. Um, remember when we were talking about Jack Parsons was an expert witness for a uh, kind of car bombing situation that happened in the L.A. Police Department? Well, one of the police officers that Parsons' testimony helped convict like, was paroled right before this happened, like within days. So Marjorie Cameron thought that this guy planted this device that killed Parsons, which seems unlikely to me. I mean, I think all the other things we've hit on seem 
probably more likely it was the government or some clandestine shadow group or something. But this is what Cameron thought. You know, she accessed the astral plane. So who are we to argue with her? Hey, I mean, if somebody else was involved, obviously the government's not going to do it firsthand. They're going to have to have some type of scapegoat. I mean, it would make sense that maybe they released the guy and we're kind of like, all right, you're getting released, but we need a, we need a little favor, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and if Jack Parsons' testimony is what locked him up, I mean, he probably would have been more than happy to do that. Especially if you knew he wasn't getting a jail time after, you'd just be brushed over kind of a thing. But obviously, yeah. as we see from everything else that's happened, whenever you work with the government and you say, sure, I'll do something for you, as soon as shit hit, hits the fan, it's always your fault and they'll throw every fucking thing on you. Well, You're like, we have nothing to do with it. This you. person has probable cause, he has this, he has that. Like, don't look at me, it was this guy. <laughs> oh, onto something else. <laughs> Goddamn scapegoat. <laughs> scapegoat. Scapegoats. <laughs> so... Again, we're going to get into some weird shit again now, like astral plane projecting to solve murders. That wasn't weird enough. We're getting into some weird shit now. So one of Parsons' associates was a filmmaker and artist named Renate Dirks, I believe is how it's pronounced. R-E-N-A-T-E-D-R-U-K-S. Drukes? Drukes. Maybe. Yeah. So anyway... This individual suggested that the explosion occurred while Parsons was attempting a ritual to create a homunculus. And do either of you guys know what a homunculus is? Because yes, I, I do. Not. Okay. So, if you don't mind me sharing what I've got in my notes here. I thought you were going to ask me to explain it, but yeah, you're more than welcome. All right. So, according to ancient alchemy... A homunculus is a tiny artificial man with magical powers or a miniature, miniature, excuse me, fully formed version of oneself, which definitely seems like something that this crazy bastard would try to do is make one of these things. Everybody go look up a picture of supposed homunculi. They're fucking weird looking because <laughs> they're like they have the face of the person, but their body like is in proportion to like their head and shit. They look funky as hell. <laughs> And alchemists claim that there are several different ways to go about creating one of these. But spoiler alert, a lot of these ways involve, you know, semen. No shit. Yeah, which is right down our boy Jack's alley. You know, this would have been something he would have been interested in, it seems like. <laughs> Jack Parson loves cum. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the name of this episode. That's what she said. <laughs> but... What's even crazier about this, other because, I mean, this is just run-of-the-mill Jack Parsons stuff, that this is something he would have tried to do. But what's crazy about this is, I told you guys back in part one, to remember the name Theodore Von Karman. This was the guy who was the director of Gausset, which was, you know, the group, the, what became JPL, all that good stuff. So this guy claimed that his ancestor was a rabbi. Well, he didn't claim that. I mean, we know the ancestor was a rabbi. But this rabbi, his name was Judah Lowe. And this ancestor claimed that he had once successfully created a golem. Not the little fellow from Lord of the Rings. A different golem. Which, according to Hebrew folklore, is, quote, an artificial human being created a created out of inanimate matter and endowed with life. A lot of the time, there's a lot of reference to them being made out of clay specifically. So, I mean, that's just a weird, another connection. Like, this person said 
who I would certainly assume had no knowledge that, you know, this guy who was Parsons mentor had a relative who was basically doing the same thing, but just the rabbit holes in this story are crazy. So jumping back into the Collins elite stuff real quick in light of this homunculus information, uh, the Collins elite released a report and it included data linking Parsons to the Roswell incident. And it, this report said that Parsons was kind of the start of it all, and he had opened the doorway. But anyway, this report went on to say that the debris that fell, quote-unquote, into the desert at Roswell did not come from a crashed UFO, but was, quote, alchemically weaved in realms far away, then carefully and deliberately dropped on the desert floor. The report went on to say that through something they called the Parsons Technique, they were able to achieve similar spontaneous manifestations of material, and they theorized that the biological entities, aliens, whatever you want to call them, that were retrieved at the Roswell crash were also you know, alchemically created somehow, which goes back to this whole homunculus idea, which... I don't know what to do with all that, but there it is. So. We'll have to bring it full circle and maybe try to put a little bit more thought into it when we get into that whole Collins Elite episode, hopefully in the future at some point. It's on the yeah, roster. So, <laughs> and there's just too much of this to unpack right now, but there it is. <laughs> so kind of wrapping things up, after Jack Parsons' death, he became well-respected in the occult and esoteric communities, but his contributions to rocketry and aerospace have kind of been reduced to more of a footnote. You know, some people think this is because of his occult ties and some people think it's because he just, you know, operated outside of, you know, traditional academia and the scientific community. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like he doesn't get his due in a lot of these areas. And, you know, that's kind of how I started this whole thing, off like how do people not talk about this guy more but in 1958 jpl uh was integrated into the newly established nasa and on halloween night of 1968 jpl dedicated a plaque honoring the 32nd anniversary of the group's first successful tests which we talked about in part one and jack was part of this uh part of the people that were honored on this plaque and in 1972, a crater on the dark side of the moon was named after Parsons. In 1989, a previously unpublished collection of Parsons' writing titled Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword was published. And this was basically, you know, mostly a collection of essays. And it was kind of talking about his more progressive and libertarian uh, political ideas. But it also included material about two projects he was working on prior to his death. So the first one was called the Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, like Gnostics. And this was a new spiritual movement slash form of worship that he was trying to establish. So basically it seems to me like he was trying to start his own kind of Thelema-type group. And the second project that he was working on was called The Witchcraft. And this was a beginner's course in magic that he intended to sell for 
So, I mean, basically, Jack Parsons, the entrepreneur, strikes again. What's a what's a conversion? I wonder for ten dollars back then to now, it's probably what I mean, it's like probably 30, just like 40 four bucks. easy payments of forty nine ninety five. You you can become a <laughs> devil wizard too. You can become your own fucking witchcraft wizard. Do it. Yeah, Only four me. easy payments, just like me. <laughs> I got everything figured out. <laughs> you know what's funny is that when you do the voice, it's perfect. When I do the voice, it starts turning into Gollum. <laughs> oh, I've been workshopping it for months. You'll get there eventually. <laughs> So that's basically the end of the notes. But if I can leave you guys and the listeners with a couple quotes, uh, you know, I'm a little sad to wrap this one up. I've put a lot of time and effort into this one. I've had it on deck for a while. So just want to leave you with a a couple of Jack's quotes. And I've developed quite, uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but quite an affinity for him through this whole process. Like, yeah, he was fucked up and did some questionable things, but, I don't know. He seems like a tortured soul and I kind of feel sorry for the guy. But anyway, in 1946, Parsons wrote, and in that day, meaning the manifestation of Babylon, my work will be accomplished and I shall be blown away upon the breath of the father. <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> yeah, he got blown away. He was manifesting and, his own destiny, man. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, furthermore, uh, the last quote I'm going to leave you guys with. So in a poetry collection that he and Cameron wrote together called Songs for the Witch Woman, which is, you know, just a banger of the title. <laughs> Sounds like a Fleetwood Mac album. <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah. Stevie Hicks is so pissed she didn't think of that. Songs for the Witched Woman. <laughs> so Jack said, her, meaning Babylon, spirit, is within all women who proclaim their equality to men. If this is indeed the case, a billion women on planet Earth are now wearing Babylon's tiara. So basically, everything this guy accomplished or you know tried to accomplish, if you ask me, he succeeded. He might have fell ass backwards into most of this, but what he was trying to do, he did. You know, which is crazy if you ask me. Even manifesting his own destiny at the end. Maybe he shouldn't have yeah. written those words because he was into rituals and he knows that like when you put words on paper, they come into flourishing. Maybe he should have been a little bit more careful about the way he worded things. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we just found out Jack Parsons was a feminist. He was. So. He was a feminist. <laughs> feminist icon, Jack Probably Parsons. Well. <laughs> Adding another title to the list of titles and the many hats yeah. this man wears. <laughs> just, yep, just trying to make the world better for... For the women. So, babe. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alistair Crowley and Jack Parsons. (laughs) And also, one more thing. um, JPL still does have a store within uh, uh, NASA. Yes. An online store, which is the absolute shittiest fucking store I've ever tried to purchase. It's part of the U.S. government. So That's like, okay, you can't sell a t-shirt. But you can build a rocket. <laughs> All <laughs> yeah. right. That seems They legit. obviously have an intention to not make any of their websites user-friendly. You see this with Social Security. You see this with fucking Secretary of State. You see this with every single thing the government does. They purposely pay a team to make their websites as unuser-friendly as they possibly fucking can. <laughs> oh, the website was a magical fiasco. It was a magical mm, fiasco. Literally. I'm going to make that a so, button for us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to clip the best magical fiasco, and I'm just going to have it on deck. <laughs> Perfect. But 
no, that's all I've got uh, on Jack Parsons for you guys. I mean, I think we pretty much beat this dead horse into the ground. But if y'all have any comments, questions, I, I mean, I feel like I, I'm basically an expert at this point. <laughs> and in turn, because of your research, I now feel like I'm also a intermediate. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting there, young Padawan. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> magical fiasco. Mm, what a magical fiasco. No, what a what a fiasco of magic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. But with that's that, a lot of fun. I guess that's uh, unfortunately the end of this Jack Parson series. But the explosive finale. The explosive finale, but it's leading into some other things. So, you know, maybe we'll bring back some Jack Parsons ideas back in the Collins Elite and we'll do the bounce back and forth idea. And it'll give you an opportunity to talk a little bit more about Jack Parsons. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, I'm always happy to talk about my boy, Jack. My so. boy, Jack. <laughs> my boy, Jack. And with that, you guys know the drill. Do the Internet things. We're easy to find. Y'all know how to find us if you want to reach out. Uh, contribute ideas and stories for the show and for Shane's book. And uh, thank you guys for putting up with me for three episodes of this foolishness. So, And considering that he puts Orn put so much time into this, if you guys haven't already reviewed or rated the show, please do so. And if you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere that you can leave a review, if I find them or if I don't find them, shoot me a message and let me know because I'd love to read them on the show and give you guys a shout-out. And specifically, if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. And if you don't think your friend might listen to the whole episode right off the bat, you got to get them interested. I'm sure you'll be able to find some clips and shit for this on TikTok and YouTube. And as always, it, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. As always, <laughs> all this stuff is listed in the link tree in the show notes. I've been Shane Squatch. I've been Orn. And I've been Jack Parsons Jenny. <laughs> there you go. You played off a little bit. I was going to say, I was going to throw your guys' titles in. <laughs> Orn the Martian and Paranormal Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, always, guys, don't forget, because just like Jack, you got to always, always stay bizarre. 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 Magical fiasco! Yeah!